Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day in a rather deserted city of Westminster in current times, as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Challoner and I'm joined on today's programme by Helen Johnson. Helen is a director at Red Moon Concepts, a company based in Clitheroe, Lancashire, which supplies restaurant furniture, catering appliances and tabletop items to cafes, restaurants, schools, hospitals and corporate businesses. Helen, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us today. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you ever so much, Helen, for, of course, taking the time to come on and speak with me. Now, the purpose of this whole podcast series is really to gather together a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. So what I'd like to understand first and foremost is what that word leader actually means to you personally. Well, it means, well, at this moment in time, because it's my own company, it means um, steering my own company in the manner that I want it to be steered into and allowed to make decisions um, for, um, for my own company, basically, yes. And if we think about your leadership style when it comes to running the business, how would you describe that? I do take everybody's opinions and um, listen to other people's opinions, but at the end of the day, I would make my own decision. Quite interesting um, because it's a team approach, isn't it? At the end of the day, being um, a leader, we of course have to uh, to remember that. And I think when it comes to taking other people's opinions on board, um, sometimes, of course, as a leader, you have to think about of course, whether you choose to run with that or whether you choose to maybe go down a different route. And that takes a certain degree of people management um, as well, doesn't it? Which is an important aspect um, of leadership. So sort of letting people know that their opinions are being heeded, but also making sure that the direction you're going in is fundamentally uh, the right one. Yeah, that's correct. And it is um, it is a balance between listening to people, but also making sure that um, you're confident in your own decisions at the end of the day. Absolutely. I think as a leader, you have to have that degree of confidence um, to be able to, of course, go with your own decision ultimately, whether or not that's been influenced by um, others. Um, do you think really that we can hope to become effective leaders without making our own decisions, trying things and maybe getting one or two things wrong as well, Helen, and then embracing that as a learning experience? Oh, totally. Um, normally what I will do is I will listen to people and um, and even if I don't agree with it, we will go forward with it and and then at least they can find out what what their decisions and the outcomes are, if you know what I mean. That it's it's you do have to do trial and error. I think that's absolutely right. Um, a lot of it is just learning by experience because experience, especially within a leadership role, is one of the more effective uh, teachers out there. Um, nevertheless, mentors and people around you of influence can also have a great deal of bearing on success um, in their own right as well. As you've gone through your own career, Helen, has there been anybody who's maybe been a mentor to you or just somebody whether they're in the public eye or just somebody that you've encountered that you've maybe looked up to and learned a great deal from and has maybe rubbed off on your own leadership style, would you say? Um, I think the companies, because I've been running my own company now for 10 years and obviously been in the wide world for a lot longer than that. 
and learnt an awful lot from other people within companies, whether it's um, accountants, um, people who are actually running the businesses. So, yes, wherever I've gone, I've learned an awful lot from the people who are actually higher up than me or were higher up than me in the businesses. And what point would you say in your life you knew that going down the route of opening your own business was pretty much the way forward for you and that you'd be venturing into a leadership role yourself? What, say that again? Sorry, I didn't quite get the question. So at what point in your life did you know, what point did the penny drop that what you wanted to do was go into business for yourself and be in your own leadership role? Um, I think I've been uh, working in big businesses for such a long time, doing quite important roles. One of the roles I did was group export director for um, an office furniture business. And and I think the time was just right then for me to um, step out and do it for myself and feel confident enough to be able to set up my own business. And also I'd got a good understanding on the rounded bit of the business. So I knew the accounts, I knew the sales, marketing, so I'd got a good understanding of the whole business and not just a certain aspect of it. Certainly seems that experience from previous roles has held you in good stead in um, developing the business um, for yourself and uh, being able to uh, lead it for sure, Helen. Um, one thing at the present time, which is really putting leadership to the test, I think it's fair to say, is of course the emergence of COVID-19 and this current pandemic, which has forced the whole country and large parts of the world, of course, as well into a lockdown. Tell me, for somebody who works in your industry, how has it been attempting to get through the last few weeks in that respect? Because I can imagine it's been quite an incredible challenge. Oh, it's been a true roller coaster. I think is the only word for it. Because of our industry, we were, I was, we were affected probably a couple of weeks before everybody else. As soon as Boris Johnson mentioned not going into pubs and, rec- and restaurants, it wasn't recommended. Um, effectively then the orders stopped um, but to be fair of these last couple of months and this month in particular it has started to pick up um, a number of the businesses that we deal with have, um, are utilising the time and also the bounce back loan to um, look at their businesses and think how they're going to come out of it at the end so it's, I'm feeling quite positive um, whereas at the beginning it was a big worry, but I do think um, the government has put a number of things in place that have made it that people are feeling a bit more optimistic that we will come out of it. Mm, there's certainly been some real debate about the uh, the government response, but one of the cornerstones of that response has certainly been the support that it's offered um, for businesses with, of course, loans, the job retention scheme, for example. Um, I suppose on the flip side to all of that support, there is also the fact that the lockdown is currently preventing a great many businesses from performing their functions. Um, have you been quite encouraged by uh, what the, uh, the government has done, despite there being criticism from some quarters? Yes. In, um short answer. Yeah, I think I personally think they've tried to do everything they can. I think um, it's not just our country, it's it's all over the world, so it's not like it's just happening in Britain. We can all see that it's happening all over the world. So, And I do think that our government, the way they've handled it with the job retention and the bounce back loans, um, I do think they've tried their best. And, and our industry is going to be the 
last industry to get going, the hospitality industry, and also probably one of the most challenging. But I am getting some positive response from some of my customers. Like I said, they're taking the time now to look at their business, see how they're going to make it work going forward. Mm. And, and I think everybody's feeling a lot more optimistic than maybe we were a couple of months ago. I would agree with that. Certainly, I think there is, um, especially in the uh, the business um, environment, um, much more of a clear route forward now. Um, I suppose, despite there still being some uncertainty in it, depending on updated scientific advice, of course. Um, what this whole situation has really brought under the spotlight, if you will, as well, Helen, is the debate between proactive and reactive approaches to this uh, particular crisis, and indeed any difficulty, I suppose, because the UK lockdown did come into force on the 23rd of March, which some people may say is a little bit too late compared to, say, the likes of Italy, for example, where they, of course, shut everything down from as early as the 9th of March, whereas we took a little bit more of a sort of laissez-faire approach for a few more weeks. Um, Tell me, if we take that sort of idea away from that situation and away from politics, would you describe yourself, Helen, as a leader who likes to be proactive and dive on top of issues as soon as they arise and really get on top of them quickly? Or or do you prefer to take a little bit of a back seat, let things play out a bit, and then take action from that stage? I don't know. It depends on the situation. I I do look at each situation and try and make sure that we've got a clear plan going forward. I don't really take too much of a back seat because I think you've got to make the decisions fairly quickly, mm-hmm. and especially at this moment in time with everything that's gone on. We did make some very quick decisions fairly quickly. So, yeah, um, it depends on the situation is, I suppose, my answer. But I am very proactive and I do like to have a clear plan. Completely understand where you're coming from from that point of view, Helen, absolutely. And based upon your experience, not just of this crisis, but also from your previous roles, from, of course, um, running your own business, if you were to perhaps give some advice to somebody who was about to start their first day in a leadership role, what sort of advice would you give them? If if it's your first day in a leadership role, then I would say sit back, listen, learn and take it all in and then decide which person you maybe want to be as your mentor going forward in that company. But yes, I wouldn't go in (laughs) straight away as a, yeah, as we would say, well, in a China shop, I would definitely sit back, learn, because there's an awful lot of learning to be done to become an effective leader. For certain, exactly, because even though we are in leadership roles, we're by no means a finished product, are we? It's still very much a process of continuous development, for sure. Yeah, and and every business, if it's not your own business, is very different with lots of different uh, politics within every business. So you do need to uh, take stock and understand the business before you make any too many challenging decisions. I think that's absolutely right, Helen, and very sound advice indeed as well. Now, if we do maintain that focus on future generations and the future as a whole before we do wrap things up on the other programme today, do give me an idea of what you envision the next 12 months holding for yourself and for Red Moon and what you hope to achieve, not just in getting through the COVID-19 pandemic, hopefully within that time, but also beyond then as well as we begin to emerge from this situation and really look to the future. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough question, really, because the next 12 months will be an important time for us. So, um, 
yeah, I mean, we're just hoping to grow and um, help businesses. That's what we try and do. We don't just sell um, a particular product just because the customers ask for it. We try and give advice and understand people's businesses that we're working with. So, yeah, I think it's challenging because we're sure we're so short term at the minute it is getting through this next 12 months and then understanding where we are then in order to make uh, further decisions Mm. and let's certainly hope that we do see the fog lifting sooner rather than later in that respect Helen and I think um, if we do start seeing that positive trajectory in the uh, the next few months it might actually be really useful from a listener's perspective especially to perhaps catch up and have you back on the programme just to see how the business is getting on and see how you're adapting to the changing um, environment as well. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Likewise, um, I think that would be fantastic as well. Um, It's a shame that we are just about out of time um, on today's uh, programme, but thank you ever so much, Jim, in any case, for taking the time to come on and speak with me. It's been a real pleasure, but also a really informative and insightful experience as well, I have to say. Okay, thanks. Thank you very much. Take care. Take care of yourself, Helen. That was Thank you. That was Helen Johnson, Director at Red Moon Concepts. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with Liz Field, the Chief Executive of the Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Liz. And that's coming up next. I'm Jonathan White, and we're joined today by Liz Field, CEO of PIMFA, Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. What a great mouthful. Liz, thank you very much for coming on today. No, thank you for inviting me. No, not a problem. A complete pleasure. And I think uh, it would be a great place to start, if we may. There's maybe a little bit of background uh, for the listeners. Obviously, PIMFA does work in uh, uh, across the board these days, but of course, it was only founded uh, uh, three years ago. And of course, um, MAPFA and uh, the WMA were merged. That's right, yes. Um, I think it really was a, a reflection of of where the industry was going in terms of uh, the provision of financial advice and helping individuals with their um, personal financial futures that we felt that it was necessary for the two bodies to merge together. Um, but both, well, certainly the Wealth Management Association and its predecessors have been around for nine, well, nearly 30 years yes. now, actually. But you're quite right. Um, as PIMFA, it's, it's been nearly three years now. And the uh, probably a very wise move because uh, the, the uh, uh, PIMFA's been going from strength to strength uh, since. Uh, what would you say at the moment uh, is are, are, are the priorities uh, for yourselves there? Um, I think there are a number of priorities. I mean, we represent a diverse group of um, of businesses, which all have one thing in common, which is that they face the clients, they they face the consumer. Um, so whether that is face to face or whether that is um, online. Uh, it's all about helping individuals to plan and save and invest um, for themselves and for their families. Uh, but we're going through uh, a number of, of key challenges. I mean, um, looking at a, a, I could have a, a macro level, if you like, um, markets are a little turbulent. Um, it's, it's very challenging um, to... Um, 
kind of navigate the the uh, investment management world. So uh, even more reason why you need a financial advisor and uh, and an investment management firm to help you um, because it is quite a complex arena. And that's not helped by the lack of financial education uh, more generally. So um, if you have that as a backdrop uh, and then politically you have what's going on um, with post-Brexit uh, and where the rules are going to come from in future, all of that is still to be negotiated. Um, so it, it's a whole melting pot of issues that uh, that our firms are trying to face. Oh, without a doubt. I think uh, maybe, Lizzie, there's quite a few understatements there in terms of the challenges that are yes. uh, occurring <laughs> at the moment. But there's quite a lot to pick up uh, uh, on the on those points because uh, I, th- I think it's 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 a, it's a unique time almost, Lizzie, isn't it, where there are a different set of challenges that advisors and individuals are uh, being confronted with from a lot of different angles. Um, and perhaps if we can start, let's start at the beginning, in fact, you bring up the issue of financial education. Yeah. Now, that's something I think uh, you can talk to anybody in the business and they'd agree with you on that front, Liz. We don't do it properly in this country. Where no. do you think, Liz, it should start from and how do we fix it? Okay, so I think, I mean, the first thing to say is that there's a lot of fantastic effort that we see across the whole of the financial services sector, uh, our sector um, amongst that, where they they try and go into schools um, and provide financial education. You go onto any website um, of some of our members and they've got some great educational material. Um, but there isn't a national framework that 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 wraps itself around the whole of the financial education efforts within our industry. And without that, um, I think they're, they're the the businesses are facing a lot of um, barriers when it comes to actually getting into schools. Um, I mean, financial education is part of the, um, per, I think it's personal health and social education um, a piece of the curriculum, but there isn't an exam um, that's at the end of it. So when it comes to schools and, and how they're being judged, it's on metrics such as um, exams and without an exam for financial education, um, I think uh, it's go- it's just it's just going to keep coming up against the same barriers. Mm. Um, and financial education is not the same as maths. So uh, what we'd also mm. quite like to see is is that we have more um, kind of money type questions within the maths curriculum because that will also then bring it to life uh, for young people for uh, youngsters and you know school kids it will bring it to life because it's about things that they have to deal with or you know that they they deal with on a day-to-day basis which is money so the more that we have that is populated in the curriculum that is about money um, the better I think because that then we'll start to promote a culture of of savings and investments, which we so badly need in our in 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 our um, in our country, without a doubt, Liz. Because and again, you've hit the nail on the head. Because there's only so much that can be done without the involvement of the curriculum in schools. Yeah, uh, and you know, you can, as you've pointed out very well, uh, it, companies can try all they all they might, but it's difficult if it's not a, a joint effort. Uh, yeah, and I think as um, 
uh, for example, uh, with with the new government we have, there have already been positive noises at the very least. Whether they become actions is another <laughs> thing entirely regarding what you could consider a, for a, a, a far more applied mathematics in, in a lot of uh, uh, the system. But ti- time will tell. And that's something I think we could probably dedicate in the next hour to. Liz, yes, I think you're right. <laughs> we probably shouldn't. Um, now, looking at and a couple of the points to pick up that you've already raised here, Liz, uh, and it goes back to the word you've already said, which is uncertainty. Uh, it, it seems as if the markets, investors, people, we've been in a state of limbo for the last three and a half years. Uh, we're talking, of course, three months after, two months after uh, a general election that resulted in a a large majority for the Conservative Party, and therefore at least we have now uh, uh, left the European Union without without dragging you down the political rabbit hole here, at least. Is there a hope now that because of that clarity, we may start to see a far more, s- far more certainty in the market? And what are your hopes for the next 12 months? Um, I think... I think that we've still got a little way to go because um, whilst, you know, 31st of January came and went, um, you know, we're now we're now in a negotiation period. We're now in a transition period. Um, and for for UK um, savers and uh, and investors, uh, in terms of where the rules are made, there's still there's still not some clarity about that. Um, you know, we're we're still uh, well, we don't know yet whether we're still tied um, or will be tied to the um, European rulemaking um, down the line. That's still to be negotiated. I mean, we've always said that actually for for savers and investors, we need stability in the markets and we need access to funds. Um, however, it, you know. The, the majority of our of our firms look after UK savers, um, and therefore, a one of the positives we see is the ability to have a a rule book that makes sense for UK savers and investors and UK firms. Um, so there's an uh, we think that there's an opportunity there with definitely without um, watering down regulation. So we're definitely not talking about less regulation. What we're talking about is smarter regulation, which makes sense for firms and makes sense for clients. Um, and as we've got a very unique industry in terms of savings and investments um, um, in, Euro- in Europe, England, or U- the UK rather, and and Ireland are unique amongst our European counterparties. So when you have a European rule book or a rule book that is set in Europe that doesn't bear any relation to the model of in- intermediation that we have here, that has caused us problems in the past, and we're hoping that we we will be able to affect that in the future with a local regulator and a local rule and a local rulemaker. But we will see. That is still all part of the of the melting pot. So whilst I'd like to be posi- positive and, and optimistic about the market, <laughs> um, we've still got this period um, of uh, of negotiation, and uh, until we see where we go to with that. Uh, and of course, you've got financial services and fisheries amongst yes, the same piece, you know. <laughs> famous bedfellows, aren't they? Indeed, I mean, absolutely, um, absolutely. So we've still got to wait and see, I think. It, absolutely. Um, and it will be an uh, interesting year, if nothing else, 
yeah. now you, you you mentioned there at least uh, the role of uh, of course regulators. I know uh, in the last month or so, obviously, uh, PIMFA has uh, given its fair amount of critique to um, the FCA. Um, are they at the moment doing their job correctly? Um, I think part, I, I don't envy the regulator one iota. Um, uh, I think if you look at the, the number of people that they have in the supervisory team and the number of firms that they have to regulate, um, it, it, it is not an enviable job um, by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, we have been critical, not least of all because we are expecting um, better supervision to prevent firms from failing and certainly to prevent firms from failing in the spectacular way that they have uh, in the last few years, which has impacted on the size of the financial services compensation scheme levy. And this levy is paid for by by firms within the industry. And our firms are a majority of small to medium-sized firms, and their bills have gone up exponentially. Our criticism is that, you know, we we don't object to having an FSCS levy um, or, you know, the lifeboat yes. funds to pay, you know, recompense to to consumers. Uh, and, and our view is has always been that the polluter pays. But the polluters have, have long since folded by the time mm. it comes to any payment, which means that good firms are paying for bad firms. So the system, we believe, is broken. Um, and, and I think that is about the regulatory perimeter. Um, you know, what is it that the, that the lifeboat fund should be protecting? The perimeter is too big. So that, you know, what is the nature of risk? That all needs to be um, uh, redefined, we believe, and recalibrated, which then enables you to determine well, if that's what risk is, then how do we protect it and how do we levy for it? Mm. Um, and that is all linked to better supervision. So that is something we have been critical about. Um, we're in the process of finalizing a paper uh, which we um, which we have positioned in a constructive manner, which is these are some of the things that we believe FCA, you should be looking at in your supervisory process, and we want to help you to do your job better. Now, I I know there's no such thing as a a magic wand, Liz, and perhaps it'll be putting you on the spot. <laughs> but if let's imagine, let's let's imagine you did have one just for the just for this afternoon, perhaps, and you were able to change one thing about that uh, system. And perhaps I shouldn't ask this because if your report isn't out yet, you might well want to reveal something that's in it. Um, but if you could. <laughs> Um, what, what would be your number one priority? If we, if we were to, if I were, my number one priority to, to solve the system in terms of reform. In terms of reform, mm. what regulatory yeah, reform yes. you mean? Um, I think. Oh goodness me! The one thing. Um, it is a bit of a mean I, question. Uh, it <laughs> is. Gosh, yes. Wow. Um, I, I think it's about the regulatory perimeter. Sure. Um, I, I think let's have a look at the regulatory perimeter. Um, which is, you know, gives some certainty to to clients about what is protected 
and what is not protected, which also then gives some assurity both to them and also to the advisors who have to advise those clients on what what's the pathway to success for them. And what and and I think if there's some clarity around all of that, then everybody will be will be better off. Great. Now, I'm conscious of the time here, Liz. It's already catching up with us. So perhaps if we can take a, a little step back and uh, and look at, um, at the operations of PIMFOR again. It's what PIMFOR do, does so well is its ability to build relationships with so many uh, different uh, organisations. Can that really, Liz, be underestimated, the importance of having those working relationships with with the departments and the organizations that you do have no i don't i I think it's absolutely fundamental um to any business actually Mm. but it's certainly something that that we have in the middle of the stick of rock that is pimfa Uh, i mean we talk about that you know the values that we have as an organization We, we are a small organization uh, and we can't do our job unless we work in partnership and collaboration with others. So relationship building um, and maintaining and creating a good foundation of relationships is absolutely fundamental to what we do. Without a doubt. And I think that's the key point, Liz, isn't it, that that's so applicable to any realm, whether it's business or, or politics or uh, any areas of life. And I think and because of the time here, we... We, I, I must start to wrap up, but um, perhaps I can ask Liz, looking forward, and I know the next 12 months is full of uncertainty, what are uh, the plans PIMFA has for it nonetheless? Um, so I think our, well, our key priority this, this next 12 months is, is, is to be talking um, much more, um, and we, we, we have been lobbying um, a fair bit on this, but because of Brexit, um, our ability to actually kind of get into um, see the policymakers on both sides, I think, to have that dialogue has been a challenge. Um, but we're finding that that is changing. They, you know, they they want to hear from us. So I think our priority is around that regulatory perimeter. Um, and what does what does regulation look like for uh, for us moving forward? But at the same time, it's not just about the future of regulation, but it's also about the future of supervision, because the two of those go hand in hand. Um, so those those two um, are kind of what are, are the main the main areas over the course of this next year. Having said that, um, you know we have a manifesto that's got six that's got six pillars in it um, and regulation and supervision and the future of that is, is just, um, kind of, is just one of those things. There are a whole host of another of other things promoting the sector as a, as a force for good and as an integral part of a, of an individual's kit bag um, for financial and mental wellbeing uh, is, is another key strand of, of activity. So I think future of regulation, future of supervision, and then promoting the sector as an integral part of uh, of um, everybody's kit bag in building their personal financial futures. Well, Liz, there might never be uh, a more important year, uh, or has not been in a while, that will determine the future of all of those things, and perhaps never a year where so many people pay attention to what happens to Britain's fish stocks. Um, but it's been <laughs> Liz, an absolute pleasure discussing that uh, leadership with you today. 
Uh, I hope very much we can sit down perhaps later this year uh, when there's a bit more clarity, perhaps, and talk through a few more things. Thank you. I would love to do that. Thank you very much. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.